The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, again, welcome to the Grove Church Snohomish. If you don't know Diane on this video, you'll appreciate it all the more. She is literally like that, always happy, always joyful, so she makes that video all the more fun. Well, my name's Andrew. I'm so excited that you're here today. As we're wrapping up our series called How to Neighbor, we're talking about the importance and the power of what it could look like for you and I to actually love our physical neighbors. Obviously, God calls us to love all people, but God's also called us and place us in an apartment complex or a condo or a duplex or a home or whatever the case may be. And we're we're looking at taking the words of Jesus when he said that you should love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And we're asking the question, what does it look like to literally love our neighbor below us, next to us, behind us, across the street? from us. Um, As we talk about this series and we look to it, one of the things that you saw here today that I want to explain just for a moment is one of the ways that the Grove Church loves our neighbors is an outreach that we do every single summer called iHeart. This is our eighth year of doing iHeart. It's something that I have led with a team of people where we go out into neighborhoods, apartment complexes, schools, parks, and we basically put on block parties for kids. We do landscaping. We do painting. uh, We take on different projects for people that are widows or single moms. It's an entire week, basically in the month of July, where we just go out and love our community and do and just show the love of Christ as a way, again, of living out this example of how to neighbor and love those around us. So for example, here in Snohomish, we're doing a block party on that Friday in July at the Boys and Girls Club. We're taking on projects for the Boys and Girls Club, and then we're looking at some other few projects that we'll do here in the community of Snohomish, because we believe it's so important to love where where we live, and the community that we're a part of. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right, you're a little too quiet today, my friends. You're a little too, can I hear an amen? amen. All right, if you, if you amen and you get loud, it helps me preach. So can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. All right, let's look back a little bit the past few weeks of where we've been in order to be able to kind of land the final uh, message in this series. First of all, we talked about the, where this story comes from. You shall love the Lord God with all of your heart. It comes from the book of Luke and the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a very famous story in Scripture. Even if you're not familiar with uh, the background of the book of Luke, Luke was a doctor, took account of all that Jesus did and said, and basically wrote the book of Acts, Luke and Acts. And so what we see in this story is that there was a man, he was a Jewish man, he was robbed, and we see the Levite passing by, he was beaten, and we see the priest passing by, but it was the good Samaritan who basically bandaged him up, put him on his donkey, put him in an inn, and gave him rest and comfort and took care of all of his needs, and then that's when Jesus talked about this verse, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And in that day and age, in that culture, The Samaritans were like the enemies of the people and you would never see and it was totally unethical and cultural issues were happening where Jews and Samaritans would not spend any time with each other whatsoever whether it be in service, in the temple, in the outer courts, they did not want anything to do with each other. Basically, a a Samaritan was an enemy of a Jew and a Jew was an enemy of a Samaritan. And so this was astonishing that a Samaritan would help this Jewish man. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. 
It's in the same way that you and I have people that live all around us, and sometimes maybe we look at them as our enemies, or maybe people we don't know very well, or they're not like us, and yet Jesus says, I want you to love the very people I've put right next to you. In week two, we talked about Jonah. Jonah is this fascinating book because all we ever heard about in Jonah when we were a kid was that there was a big, big fish or a big, big well that scooped him up, and that's kind of the end of the story. But Jonah's four chapters are actually a powerful story of how far and how deep and how wide God's love is for every person on the planet. And Jonah has this issue with the mercy and the grace of God. It's actually the only book in the Bible where we find verses where someone is angry that God is merciful and just and loving. Basically, the story boils down to that God had called Jonah to go to the Ninevites, to go to the people of Nineveh and tell them about his love, but also tell them about his judgment, that what they were doing was wrong, that their habits and their patterns were wrong, and God wanted to come to them and bring judgment. And so Jonah, rather than obeying and listening to God, goes to a different place, gets on a different boat, to a different town, and disobeys God. When we get to finally in chapter four, after the fish incident and all that stuff, what we see is that Jonah recognizes that the people repent and relent of what they've done and God is no longer gonna bring his judgment, but he's gonna bring his love. And Jonah's response is basically this. I cannot believe that your love and your grace and your mercy would be extended to these people. He's basically a person that deals with judgment and this sense that he only wants God's love to be extended to people like him. And again, it's this great reminder that there's people that live all around you and I that are maybe not like us, that maybe we would think they're the last people that will ever come to faith in Christ. If you only knew what they did, if you only knew how they lived, if you only knew what their house looked like or sounded like or felt like, oh, you would not believe the stories I've seen as their neighbor. And yet God would say, I've come for those very people. That's how radical in my love is. I wanna shock people with how love and gracious I am towards people who are, far from me. Last week, Evan talked about the fear that we have to overcome if we're going to love and interact with our neighbors. He talked about the story in Israel where Rahab was saying, we were scared of you. And they were saying, we were scared of you. And this issue of, man, someone has got to walk across the street. Someone's got to bring the bowl of cookies. Someone's got to do something to overcome this fear that we feel towards those that we live around us. We also, in this message last week, and we'll go through it a minute here again, we talked about uh, what we called jokingly the card of shame. It's basically a, a grid of eight homes on a card, and could you even identify like the first and last names of your neighbors? The second category was, could you identify any information about them at all? The third category was anything in-depth about them, and what we found, not only just in our church, but just in, in, a, in research when they did this, this author and this group of people did this with like 4,000 people. What they found is less than 10% even knew the first and last name of their neighbors. Basically less than 5% knew any information of any detail and less than 2% actually knew real in-depth knowledge and information about their neighbors. So it's not just you, it's not just me. We all struggle with loving our literal neighbors. Today we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter nine and 
before we get to it, I want to give you a little background to 1 Corinthians, and then we'll jump into some, another famous set of verses from the Apostle Paul. But the, the Corinthian church, the church at Corinth, Paul, used to be Saul, was converted to Christianity through a vision on the Damascus Road, and he goes and plants churches. He's a missionary, and he's an apostle. He's a leader of leaders. He's planting churches and leading churches, and he, he finds out that the church at Corinth is like basically nicknamed the party church. Okay, You got people getting drunk on communion which probably is not okay. Uh, you got people, uh, tons of immorality, people sleeping with people that they shouldn't be, people doing things with their bodies that they shouldn't be doing, and, and there's just idols being worshipped and uh, sacrifices happening to idols, and, and Paul's like, whoa, 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 like, what is happening here? And so all of 1 Corinthians and part of 2 Corinthians is dealing with basically some correction and some rebuking to the church at Corinth about the way you're behaving is not the gospel that I have given my life to that Christ died for. And we got some major problems and major hurdles to get over here in the church at Corinth. In verse, in chapter nine, Paul is basically talking about the fact that he has rights. That as a, as a Jewish man, as a person that was from, that was, that was taught as being a Pharisee and was a studier of the law, he has these rights and yet he's making an argument that he's laying down all of his rights and all of his positioning so that he can help show people the love of Christ. And in verses 9, 19 through 23, this is Paul, this is some famous verses, maybe you've heard these before, but Paul basically says, in dealing with his rights, in verse 19, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things, probably the most famous verse ever, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Let's pray for God's word today. Lord, again, we thank you that these are not my words, but they're your words, God. And we just thank you, God, that you are here to remind us again of just how far and how deep your love will go for every person on this planet, God. And so would you once again just teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit what it is, God, you want us to do, how you want us to live, what steps we can take today. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. I'm just going to break down a few of these verses here and then we'll get to some real practical things. I'm going to try to just offer some suggestions and some ideas as we kind of wrap up this series of what it could look like to literally love our physical neighbors. But let me break down just a couple thoughts here in 1 Corinthians 9. In 19, Paul says that he is free from all, that he is not obligated under the Old Testament law, nor is he a slave or servant to no one, that he is free in Christ. What Paul is saying is now that Christ has come, his death, burial, and resurrection has now fulfilled or abolished, I like the word fulfilled better, fulfilled the Old Testament law. 
Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, you remember, there's like over 600 rules. There was like any time there was sin in the camp, there was like a sacrifice of an animal. Uh, it was a priest that had to go into the temple on the Day of Atonement and make atonement for the sin of the people. And there's all these laws and rules and th- different procedures and protocols that was happening in the Old Testament, this sacrificial system. But now Christ has come, as the scripture teaches, is the final sacrifice or the last sacrifice, and he's abolished or fulfilled this Old Testament law, meaning we no longer need a priest or a pastor to go to us, to go for us for God. We have Christ as our mediator. He's the one that intercedes on our behalf. He's our Savior, King, Lord, and Savior, right? And he's, he's fulfilled this law, and therefore Paul's saying, I'm free now. Like I'm free from this old law. I'm free from the sacrificial system. And so are you. You are now free as well. Well, what does he say? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Isn't that interesting? That even though he is now free from this system and this protocol and this procedure, he has now become a servant Right? Jesus said that if you want to become my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow hard after me. Paul's using kind of this terminology, I become a servant, and why? Why did he become a servant? That I might win more of them. Everyone say that I might win. Come on, say that I might win. That I might win more of them. So he has made himself a servant, someone to help teach and instruct and to lay down his life that he might win more of them. Verse 20 says, so to the Jews, a group of people in that day, I became as a Jew, why? So to the Jews, the people who followed the law and followed the dietary rules and followed all these different things and didn't want to believe maybe why Christ came or what Christ came to do, what does he do? He becomes like them, approachable, relatable, understanding where they're coming from, why? Why does he become like Jews? In order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. That I might win more of them. That I might win Jews. That I might win those under the law. Are you catching the theme here? To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Paul says, I'm not outside of the law of Christ, but I'm outside of the law. And so I want to talk for just a few minutes here about what he's referring to when he says this law of Christ. The law of Christ supersedes the law of the Old Testament meaning you had to follow certain rules, regulations, and dietary laws. Paul is saying, I'm free to eat pork and bacon, praise God. He's free to eat fiber, and he doesn't have to sacrifice any animals. Can I hear an amen? However, I'm under the law of Christ, and this is the law of love built on the saving work of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther explained it this way, that a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, But a Christian is also perfectly a servant of all, subject to all. And then he explains. These two verses seem to contradict each other. 
but both are Paul's own statements who says in 1 Corinthians 9.19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. And in Romans 13.8, catch this, he says, I owe no one anything except to love one another. Love by its very nature is ready to serve and be subject to him who is love. Paul's strategy is to love and love one another. In another letter that he wrote in Galatians 5.13, he says, You were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So Paul's saying to those, he says, I'm free, but I become a servant to, to all. I'm free of all of these laws. I'm free of all these rules, but now I'm a servant to all. To Jews, I became like them so I could win them. To those under the law, I became like under the law so I could win them. To those outside of the law, I became like a person outside the law so I could win them. But here's the ultimate thing. What I'm following, what my guide is, the direction of my life, what I'm looking at doing here is my life is built and under the law of Christ. Meaning it's the love of God that he has for me in sending his son Jesus that compels me to become approachable and relatable and able to deal with all different types of people of all different types of backgrounds, of all different types of races because I am a person under the law of Jesus Christ. This is what it was. Bob Goff says it this way. I used to want to fix people. Now I just want to be with them. I want to be around as many people as I possibly can because the law of Christ compels me to love all types of people, all ages, all societies, all cultures, all lifestyles, all demographics. This is the law of Christ. He says, To the weak, I become weak. Why? So that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might say some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What Paul is saying to you and I today is that he does his very best to find common ground, to find relationship, to find connection, to find something that he can relate to with with all these different types of people. For people that were weak, he became weak so that he would win them. For people that were strong, he became strong so that he could win them. Why? Why is he doing all these things? Because the law of Jesus Christ, this law of love, is compelling him to recognize that Christ came to love all people and I should do the same. I should do the same. I should follow that example. And his intention and his, in, his heart is not just so that he just be friends with them, not so that he's just a nice person. Why? His intentions and the things that's compelling him is to populate heaven and to empty hell. Okay, I wanna make sure we understand why we're becoming great neighbors. We're becoming great neighbors to show people Christ's love. To show them why he loves them so much that he would die on a bloody cross and take upon the sins of humanity. And that's what compels you and I to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
But if we're honest here, and if we've ever heard these messages being preached, and we've ever heard this verse right here, that I have become all things for all people, that, I, my all, that by all means I might save some, some of us in the room feel really uncomfortable with this conversation. Like, whoa, 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 what does that mean? Like, like I become like all things to all people, so, so, so do, do, do Christians then become like the world? So we do everything that the world does because we're supposed to become like them. Let me read it to you one more time here. He says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. There's a caution here that we must take note of. Uh, I love what John Piper says about this caution. I want to quote him here. Uh, In one second, we'll get the main one on the screen, but I want to quote a couple things that are not on here. I just want you to hear what he says in terms of what it means to remain under the law of Christ. Questions that we should consider when we're trying to become like others to help win some. Are you becoming more worldly minded than they are becoming spiritually minded? If so, you have probably crossed the line of the law of Christ. Christ does not call you to lose your holiness, but to gain theirs. I love this that he says this. Why? Because we would tell students this all the time. They say, well, man, we want you to be a light in, in your high school. We want you to be a light in your neighborhood. And then we, we would ask the question, but who's influencing who in that relationship? Is, is the good in you growing stronger or weaker by trying to fulfill the law of Christ? Is the holiness in you becoming bigger and stronger or is it becoming weaker by the people that you're around? Meaning, are you becoming the leader of that group, trying to influence and show them who Christ is or are you becoming the follower, being swayed by whatever it is they're doing and recognizing that you're becoming more worldly than spiritually minded? Another question here, Piper talks about, is your passion for winning your friends and family growing? Or is it shrinking as you become all things to them? If it's shrinking, then you are not in the law of Christ at that point. Is your passion for winning your friends and family growing or is it shrinking as you become all things to them? Meaning, if it's shrinking, the more you're around people that don't know Christ, the more that you see the brokenness, the hurt, the pain, the anguish, or maybe some of the fun and the joy and the pleasure, and you go, man, I kind of like that. I kind of want to do more of that. And you find yourself, your heart shrinking for the loss and the, and the grief that God has over the person that doesn't know him. And that's not burdening you and that's not causing an effect on your heart, then maybe you have stepped outside of the law of Christ at that point. Piper goes on, I have this one here. Here is the sum of the matter. I really want you to catch this. Christ died to set us free, free from the wrath of God and free from the loveless limits of the law, free for love and eternal life. Are we using our freedom to make this good news plain? Or are we so separistic that we have no connection with unbelievers? Or are we so worldly they don't know we have anything radically different to offer? Like if that's up there, I'm taking a picture of that. Like that is powerful to think about. What what Paul Piper, what they're reminding you and I today is we have something radically different to offer people that live behind us and next to us, below us and above us. 
And what is this radical thing that we have to offer? It's the very mercy and grace of God being extended to every person. This mighty love, this mighty power, this mighty incredible grace that can be offered to every person if they would just turn from where they're at today and put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's this powerful thing that we're free and yet we become servants of all to help win as many people as possible. It's God's heart that all should come to repentance and it should be our heart as well to do the same. Let's get practical here as we kind of wrap up this whole series. I want to offer just several suggestions of things that I think this should and shouldn't look like. I feel like in order to offer the good examples, let me just offer a few of the bad examples of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. These would be bad ideas. Uh, First one would be what I would call the judgmental Christian. Please don't go over to your neighbor's house and say, man, you guys sure like to party. Like I see the bottles in your recycling can and you guys really do like to have fun and party, don't you? Like that's not gonna start a good conversation with your neighbors. Don't, don't, don't point out their lifestyle or, or as the TV commercial says, oh, I see you have tattoos. Do you work? Okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't start there, okay? I wouldn't start there, all right? I would not start there. That, that, that comes across as intimidating, as offensive. I wouldn't start by pointing out things that are wrong with the things that they're doing with their kids, the things that they're doing with their lives, the things that you think are, you're so against and are so sinful and wrong. I would encourage you to lower down your offenses of how sinful people are because guess what? Sinful people are sinful. They're just worthy to be found people. Another bad example would be what I would call the nagging neighbor. That your only interaction with them is to complain about the street parking or the uncut grass. Okay? <laughs> I love it. This guy's like, that's me. No, I'm kidding. It's not you, bro. It's all of us, okay? But, but what, what is it about us that like, the, those little things bug us and that, that's what we find ourselves wanting to nag and pick at? Like, man, are they ever going to mow their lawn? Are they ever going to stop parking in front of my house? I know it's street parking, but it's right in front of my house. Right? Like, are they ever going to sell all three of their trucks? Right? Like, are they ever going to do these things? It's interesting in this book that we've been going through, uh, getting some of these ideas from The Art of Neighboring, there's a story in this book where it's this bad example of, of a nagging neighbor. And what, what, what this neighbor does is he, he sees this neighbor kind of on the corner here and he realizes, man, their lawn is completely outgrown. There's broken down car in the driveway. And, um, and yet he's frustrated that this lawn, you know, looks like no one lives in it. No one cares about it. And, you know, it looks like it's just been ransacked. And so every time you go to the mailbox, he's talking to another neighbor about, you know, so-and-so's house. They just get it together. So-and-so's house. They just get it together. And one time he does this and this, a different neighbor says, hey, do you know what's going on with Lisa? I mean, this one hurts so bad. Do you know what's going on with, with Lisa and her mom? He's like, no, I don't have any idea. Well, yeah, her, her mom is battling cancer and she's about to pass away and she moved in with Lisa taking care of her and Lisa's stressed and overwhelmed. Like, ouch. You're like, man, don't ever complain about your neighbor, right? Like, no, but think about that for a minute. We never really know what someone is going through until we know. You know what counselors and therapists call it? It's called empathy. 
It's the ability and strength and power to place yourself in someone else's shoes and go, man, I, I wonder where they're at and I wonder what's going on with them. The story closes in, in this situation where they like adopt this lady's house and they mow her lawn and they clean it up and they get it painted and they just take care of her thir- during the transition and season of her losing her mom to cancer. Last bad example I have for you is just being a salesman. Like you're trying to sell a product, like you got Girl Scout cookies and you think that somehow you can sell people and people can buy a product from you. Where we start it's not with salesy and, and fancy tracks and giving out a $100 bill that's fake, but it's about Jesus. That's not where we start. That's not where we start. We start with just being friendly and welcoming. Here's some good ideas here as we continue on here. Number one, I would encourage you to learn the names of your neighbors. In fact, that's why we did that chart last week. And if you missed it, we can get one to you. I would learn the names of your neighbors. If, if you look at a chart like this and A stands for first and last names, your house is in the middle. If you don't know any of your neighbor's names at all, I would start there because if you wanna show people the love of Christ and you wanna love them as Christ calls us to, I think we should first start with knowing their name. Most basic thing is to know their name. And yeah, it might be a little awkward to go over there with some cookies or introduce yourself and say, hey, I've lived here for this long. I'm sorry I haven't known, gotten to know you, but these are my kids. This is my family. What is your name? I, w- I would start by knowing their name. Summer's coming. I-, I would encourage you. We had a couple ideas in our life group this week that I thought were brilliant. One of them was um, doing a front yard barbecue and just inviting your neighborhood. A front yard barbecue, which is a different than obviously than a backyard barbecue. And you say, hey, you know, we're going to provide the, the beverages and the sides. You bring your own meat and you put on a, a front yard barbecue and you invite your neighbors. Someone else in our life group said doing like a movie night, like on a blow up screen with a projector and a screen and a generator and doing like a movie night and providing the snacks in someone's big backyard and putting on a movie for all your neighbors. One of the gals in our group said, you know, I kind of like that because there's a beginning and an end. I love it. I love the honesty. Like, okay, the movie starts at seven, it ends at nine, and you have to leave. You know what I mean? Whereas a barbecue, they're just there forever. You know? So, like, can I see your house? You're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so there's like a limitation there, right? I love that. But, but put on, you know, you put on, put on a movie. You, you, you build a bridge. Uh, another one could be just helping with the project. Maybe someone in your neighborhood is struggling. Maybe their mower just broke down. Maybe they're replacing brakes on their car. Maybe they're painting their house and you can mask off or scrape or do, but being present enough and a build and being available enough to where you have the opportunity to help on a project with something that they're working on right in front of you. I mean, really the list is endless. For, for Amanda and I, one of the things that we strongly believe in, and this is just a personal family thing, is we try to be home as much as possible. I mean, if you want to find me on the weekends, I'm more than likely home. And it's because of the season of life that I'm in with little kids, but I'm home and I'm available and I want to be home and I want to be near where I live because I want to find opportunities to love and care for my neighbor. But if your life is so crammed, you look at your calendar and go, we're never home until 10 o'clock at night every single, I'm telling you then it'll be impossible to love your neighbor and be available if you're actually never physically home. So somehow you have to create this ability in your schedule and your routine 
to even have opportunity to waste time, so to speak, to make yourself available to love those around you. The list is endless. Uh, Andy Stanley said it like this, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. It's amazing because you go, man, I got to learn all the names of my neighbors. No, I would just start with like knowing one home and neighbors' names. Well, you're telling me to bake, you know, 5,000 cookies for my entire apartment complex? No, I'm saying start with one baking cookies for your neighbor that lives right across the street. You mean I got to fix everyone's car? No, you guys see what I'm saying. The, the list is endless, but we can start by doing for one what you wish you could do for all. Recently in my neighborhood, um, a lot of our cars got broken into. We kind of had a prowling incident in my neighborhood and one of the cars actually happened to be mine. And for whatever reason, I was bringing dinner home one night and I had my hands full and I forgot to press the button on my little key fob thing and I left my car unlocked. And I know what you're thinking, you're an idiot, okay? I get it, okay, yes, stupid move. So that night, Basically, five or six cars, you know, were, were proud into, you know, not windows broken, but basically they're just checking door handles, broken in my car. There was nothing in it, thankfully. For some reason, every now and then, I've accidentally left my wallet in my car. Okay, another idiot move. I get it. Thanks again for the reminder. Okay, but this time there was nothing in it. There was no change. There was nothing. In, so it's going to rummage through my car. And it, it was kind of a scary thing because I get to my car and it looks like there's like an animal that went through it because there's just stuff everywhere. Well, you know, immediately we have like this like group on our on our, uh, you know, HOA or whatever, and people are on there talking. And then, you know, one Saturday last weekend, we were all out there. And this is just kind of like brought our neighborhood together. You know what I mean? It's like, you have a common enemy, a thief. You're like, oh, well, what did he do? Oh, well, he did this. What did he do? Well, he did. So automatically, we're all like outside of our houses last week. You're talking about like what we would do to this person if we ever caught him. You know what I mean? It's like amazing. It's like, if you just want to find something to rally around, purposely break into your neighbor's car and you'll create a whole story in your neighborhood. But yeah, so basically we're all gathering around like, yeah, we'll do this. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll do a stakeout. And my buddy was like, yeah, I got the CB radio. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Some of the ideas people are coming up with. But again, it was just a simple thing. of we, we already know each other. We have a relationship. We know each other's names. But this brought us to a deeper place because of this shared experience. One of the things that happened in my car that night is for whatever reason, either they were smoking weed or they smelled like weed, but my car reeked like marijuana. And so my neighbor on the corner knows that I'm a Christian, knows that I'm a pastor. His name's Chad, Chad Michelle. And uh, I called him as we were talking about this. I said, dude, this is, this is not good. He's like, what? He's like, dude, my car smells like marijuana. I said, dude, this is not, this is not good for, for my example. He said, dude, don't worry. It's legal. I mean, so he's not, he's not a Christian. I'm like, Chad, that's not my point. You know, like I can't be smelling like weed as a pastor. You know, it's like, dude, don't worry about it, man. It's all good. Okay. But, but again, just trying to connect with him on anything. It's just hilarious. But the, the craziest thing about it is, so he's like, dude, you should probably call the police and tell them, you know, what's going on. So I'm like, okay. So I called up police. I get on the, the, the phone with the officer. And I said, hey, you know, this happened, this situation. And the guy's like, well, did you, we guys had to identify him. Like, actually, my neighbor has one of those cameras on his light thing. So we actually have a picture of the person. And he's like, okay, well, yeah, it's been happening. And, and I'm talking to this officer and, and, and my neighbor's kind of there, you know, uh, my neighbor wasn't there at that time, but I'm talking to this officer and I don't know what happened, but like, 
have you ever jumbled over your words before? Okay, like I do this all the time, even as a speaker. So I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden I was just like, appreciate you, thank you. Okay, like it was the weirdest thing ever, okay? And I basically was trying to say, I appreciate you, thank you, okay? But instead I was like, Thank, thank you. Like, like, I'm like, I'm spending way too much time with children, okay? And so the officer was like, like, what is that? And I said, um, <clears throat> like, took a breath, swallowed. Hey, you know, I appreciate you. Thank you, you know? He's like, oh, no problem, man. Thank you. You know, so every time I talk to my wife and she does something, I'm like, thank you. But my, like, it's just so funny. Like, even our words, you know, sometimes... We don't get right and we say things and we, you know, we fumble our words and we don't always say the right things. And I want to leave you with this here. Paul says, And when I came to you, brothers, 1 Corinthians 2, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Listen to this. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What Paul is reminding you and I today is that, man, sometimes we're going to trip over our words and we're going to say thank you. I mean, sometimes we're not going to say the right things or do the right things. But what we have, what we have inside of us is the living God and his power and his spirit wanting to use us to demonstrate his love and his grace. And so we don't always have to get the right words or the right action. We just need to say to ourselves, Lord, I'm willing to be used by you with where I live in this season of my life, however you want me to do it. So show me today. Show me today, God, what I can do so that others can see you through me. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.